0: Good morning everybody. Good morning over here too. I'm not sure I can see you too well, but good morning to you. I'll keep moving around. It's great to have you all here this morning. The Lord has brought us together to be able to worship him in song, in spirit and in truth. And the truth is revealed in the scriptures. The book of Revelation is the one that I am going through and have been going through. Before we start on chapter 5, and you might like to turn there, I just want us to be reminded about the book of Revelation. I want you to understand that if you're coming to this book looking for uh, prophecy and hoping to discover all the prophecy and what it's all about, then you're going to miss the boat. You're going to miss what this book is all about. This book certainly contains prophecy. Prophecy. It contains eschatology, it contains end times, and we enjoy it, and it's great to be reminded of it and to look forward to that. But this book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. He's been revealed through John, who was taken up into glory, up into heaven, so that we, and all before us, and all after us, will have this book revealing who Jesus Christ is. Now I know we have the Gospels and we've been sharing around the table. We know who Jesus Christ is from them, from the New Testament, through Paul's teachings. But This was a new revelation that John was given at the end of the first century, at the end of the apostleship. And so this was a new revelation. A revelation that beforehand hadn't never been revealed and now it is being revealed, it's been revealed to us and so let's make sure we just don't focus in on the prophecies that are going to come but to focus in on Jesus Christ, it's his unveiling not the prophetical unveiling. So hopefully we remember that and learn that. The other thing I want us to point out, or want to point out, is that it's already been outlined for us, this book. It's been outlined for us in chapter 1, verse 19, by the Lord himself. And so what we have, if you just turn back to chapter 1, verse 19, John was given a mandate to write, and these are the things that he was to write. Verse Chapter 1, verse 19, Therefore write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. Now this is important because the Lord himself is dividing the book of Revelation into three acts, into three parts. In the first act, John was told, Write the things which you have seen. And we've been through that. That was what was in chapter 1. This is where John had the vision of the Lord and fell before him as, as dead. That was the first part. The second part, the things which are. And we, we've been through that. That occupied chapters 2 and 3. you remember the seven churches, the letters to the seven churches and all that entailed. That was the next part that John was asked to write. And then for the third act, John was told to write down the things which will take place after those things. And last time we looked at chapter 4, and in that chapter we saw this scene that was set before us. And it's set before us as a scene waiting for an earth-shattering experience of the breaking of the seven-sealed scroll. You might like to just have a look at chapter 6, verse 1. If you remember, chapter 4 and 5 are pictures and the story that John was seeing in heaven. Chapter 4 was focused on God. Chapter 5, is we're going to see focused on the Lamb. And then chapter 6 starts, Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, And we can go down, and the first one was a white horse who sat on it with a bow. Then we have the second seal, which is war. The third seal, famine. The fourth seal was death. The fifth seal was martyrs. And the sixth is terror. And we'll look at those when we get to chapter 6. But that's what they're waiting for in heaven. In fact, in chapter 6, the scene goes from heaven down to earth. And we see those things happening on earth. But in chapter 4, the last time we were in this book together, at the end of that scene, we have this picture that John wrote for us or showed us. We have the throne of God. We have a description of the one sitting on the throne. We have a rainbow around the throne. We have the 24 elders clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. We have flashes of lightning and peals of thunder coming out from the throne. There was a cacophony of noise and thunder. We have the seven spirits of God. We have before the throne something like a a sea of glass. We have around the throne the four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And from everyone present there was worship. Just read with me, chapter 4, verse 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was, and who is, and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. Everyone is praising Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Magnificent words of praise. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor, and we cast our crowns of rewards to, to his feet. And that's the scene that we were left with, up in glory, up in heaven, with John being shown this. But in chapter 5, the focus shifts. In fact, it shifts from God Himself to a seven sealed scroll in His hand. It's like a TV scene where we have God in the picture and then the TV comes down onto His hand. And what is in the picture now is this seven sealed scroll. It becomes the center of attention. But what is this scroll? Was this scroll like the one handed to Jesus to read from uh, in Isaiah when he was on earth? No, that was an ordinary scroll. This one was not. In fact, it wasn't meant to be read by anyone because it was sealed. It was rolled up with seven seals. It wasn't meant to be read. Now, we 21st century people We struggle to know what this scroll is. But let me assure you that every first century person reading this would have known straight away what this scroll was. You see, Roman wills, Roman deeds were sealed up with seven seals in a scroll. And John could see this scroll, and he could see also that on both sides of the scroll was writing. This was very unusual. It meant that nothing more could be added. There was writing on both sides. The scroll was full. What was written in it was completed and final and it was sealed. It was a will. It was a deed. So what could this scroll be the deed of? You might like to turn with me to Psalm chapter 2 because we get a, a clue there what this scroll is. Now, Pete, we had a responsive reading from Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. It is a psalm that is certainly written by David, but looks to the future, when Jesus Christ, the the Messiah, was to rule. Psalm 8. Sorry, Psalm 2. I'll get it right. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That word anointed is Christ, against his Christ, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. So he had the nations in an uproar, all the peoples are, and all the kings of the earth are taking their stand against God and his anointed, he's Christ. And they say, let us tear their fetters apart. Mere man saying, let us tear God's fetters apart and cast away them from us. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. And then we can see the Messianic psalm really step out into its own here. Because God said to me, God said to Christ, the anointed, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give thee the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. This messianic psalm talks about the time that we're speaking of right now. A time where God has... will give the nations as an inheritance, the ends of the earth as the Messiah's possession. What is the scroll in God's hands? It's the title deed to the earth. It's the promise, I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. A title deed that can only open by whoever the appointed heir would be. So who is God going to hand it to? Who's coming to take this title deed from God's hand? Well, John continues to write in verse 2, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Now from this verse, Chapter 5 divides naturally into three sections. We're going to see a search for the worthy one. Then we're going to see the selection of who the worthy one is and then we're going to see the song to the worthy one. So let's have a look at the search for this one who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. What's the criteria that someone must have to open the scroll? Is it strength? No, because the angel was a strong angel. What's the criteria to open this scroll? Worthiness. Who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll? Who has the right to the deeds of the universe? Who can rule it with a rod of iron and shatter shatter it like earthenware? Who is going to be able to establish justice on this earth that's the question. Who can step forward and take this scroll? But as the, the, the echoes of this mighty angel's cry dies out, there's silence. Well, except for John crying his eyes out. Verse 3, And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. He was weeping greatly. Why was he weeping greatly? Because uncounted thousands of other angels remained silent. All the righteous dead of all the ages, including Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Job and Moses, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Peter, and the rest of the apostles, Paul, all the others from the church age, silent. No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. A search for the, for, the, for the entire universe from hell to heaven and all points in between turns up no one worthy to open the scroll. And John is weeping. Why is he weeping? Because he realizes that God's glorious redemption plan for mankind can never be completed until this scroll is opened. You see, John wanted to see Satan vanquished. He wanted to see God's kingdom set up on earth. He wanted to see Israel saved. He wants to see Christ exalted. He knew the Messiah had been executed. He knew that Jerusalem was destroyed. He knew the Jewish people had been massacred and scattered. He was well aware of what the church faced the intense persecution, the infection of those seven churches with sin, he was well aware of all that. Everything seemed to be from his, expe- his perspective to be going so badly. Won't anyone step forward and take this scroll? Was no one going to unroll a scroll and redeem God's creation? Was no one worthy? No wonder he was crying. Can you imagine if the world couldn't be redeemed? Imagine if if it was going to stay like this forever, getting worse and worse. John was weeping. I'm sure we'd all be crying if we really thought that this world was all there is. Verse 5 says, and one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the scroll and its seven seals. Great news came to his ear as he was crying. One of the elders, thankfully, the 24 elders or one of the 24 elders knew who could open the scroll. How did one of the 24 elders know? Because from chapter 4, last time we were together, I tried to show you through the scripture that the 24 elders were representing the redeemed church. And as God's redeemed people, we know who alone is worthy, don't we? As uh, God's people, we know who can take the deeds of the universe. We know who the appointed heir is. We've been told Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. In these last days God has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world. The scroll represents Christ's title deed to all that the father had promised him. You will notice in verse 5, the elder described Christ using messianic titles. Again, I just want to point out, as we read the book of Revelation, it's very much tied up into the Old Testament. Very much so. Because as we go through it, we'll see it is a time of Jacob's trouble. It is a time where Israel is put through their paces because of their disobedience. But he's called the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Two messianic titles, again going back to the Old Testament. The reference to Judah is from Genesis chapter 49. I'll just read it for you. This is where Jacob prophetically gave the scepter to Judah and made that tribe the kings, uh, all the kings forthwith. Verse 9 of chapter 49 of Genesis, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares, rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The messianic title, the lion of the tribe of Judah, this man, this God, Jesus Christ, is king. Because it also said he's from the root of David. And we know this from the book of Matthew. We can go to Matthew and we can see it all laid out there from Jesus right down to David. But this messianic title is derived from Isaiah chapter 11. You might like to turn there. I'm just going to read a couple of verses, but we're going to read this chapter again in in partnership with Revelation because Isaiah also brings up this time of Revelation. So Isaiah chapter 11, you can leave your finger there or your mark. I'm just going to read one or two verses just to show you where the the root of David comes from. Verse 1 of Isaiah 11, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Now I don't have to tell you that Jesse was David's father. King David's father. And out of that, out of Jesse, out of his loins will come this one who bears fruit. And then verse 10. Then it will come about in that day that the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. Who will stand as a signal for the peoples and his resting place will be glorious. Now we know that root of Jesse to be Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ was not only able to take the scroll because he's the lion that's from the tribe of Judah and the root of David, he was also be able to take the scroll because of what the scripture says here. He overcame so as to open the scroll in its seven. What did he overcome? That he's able to open this scroll? Well, we've looked at it at the communion table. We've sung about it all morning. He's the one who triumphs by his death and his resurrection. He's the one that's able to bring about God's kingdom on this earth. He's the one that's been given the inheritance and the very ends of the earth as his possession. <coughs> he has overcome death. He has overcome Satan. Satan. But as John looked at this incredible scene before him, verse 6 continues. <coughs> and I saw between the throne and the with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. So when John had been told the one who can take the scroll will be the, uh, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he turns and what does he see? He doesn't see a lion, he sees a lamb. The first mention of a lamb in the book of Revelation... But we will now continue as we go through the book and read it 28 times. God's wrath is the wrath of the Lamb. Cleansing is by the blood of the Lamb. The church is the bride of the Lamb. Revelation 6, Revelation 7, Revelation 19. All throughout Scripture, including Revelation, the theme of the Lamb has been so important. Why is it important? Because from Genesis, as far back then, when Isaac asked that question of Abraham, where is the lamb? To when John the Baptist cried out, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right up until the choirs of heaven will be singing, worthy is the lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ is pictured as the lamb who was slain. And now John sees our Lord standing, as if slain. There are scars of this deadly wound this land received. They're very visible, but he was alive. Demons and wicked men had conspired against him, had killed him. He rose from the dead, defeating death, triumphing triumphing over his enemies. And why is he now standing before the throne of God? Why is he now not seated at the right hand of God the Father where we picture Jesus Christ right at this moment interceding for us? Why is he not seated at his Father's right hand? Why is he standing before him as a lamb? Because Jesus Christ has now finished his role of interceding for his saints. The saints are in heaven with him. After the rapture of the church and now he is ready to finish the last act of redemption. Not of people, not of us because they're with him. The Lord Jesus Christ paid the price of redemption on the cross and now he stands ready to punish all those who rejected him. The last act of redemption is the book of Revelation. Revelation. Have you rejected Christ? Do You sit here this morning and you cannot say in your heart and in your life that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lamb who takes away your sin. If you cannot do that, then the next thing in the book of Revelation is the next act of redemption and that is to redeem his earth. To redeem his world. And to punish those who reject him. Now I understand here that this description of the lamb in verse 6. If it was literally drawn by an artist would provide a, a, quite a grotesque picture. But when we understand symbolically it conveys wonderful spiritual truth. Seven horns, God's perfect number of perfection, perfect power. Seven eyes, perfect wisdom. Seven spirits in all the earth, the perfect presence. Theologians would call these qualities omnipotence, omniscience, An omnipresence. All three attributes of God. The Lamb is God the Son. Jesus Christ. We have this picture of the Lamb standing there. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I am the one because I paid the price. I overcame death. I am the one because I rose again. I am the son of the living God. I am the only one who can take this scroll. I am worthy. And verse 7 says, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He evidenced that judgment and power over all the earth, are now committed to Christ. He has the deeds to the universe. Romans tells us that all creation, including us, have been groaning and struggling for our redemption. Now, as the Lord takes the scroll, we can look expectantly to the time of deliverance. And that's what Isaiah is talking about in chapter 11. You might like to turn back with me there and we'll read the whole section of this deliverance of the earth that Isaiah foretold many thousands of years ago. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Isaiah, looking at this time when Christ, the Lamb of God, now taking the scroll, will redeem his land. You see, the rest of the book of Revelation tells us how Christ will conquer, how Christ will, Will overcome, how he will destroy sin, how he will establish righteousness. That's what the book of Revelation is going to tell us. How does he establish righteousness? And he'll be able to do it because he is strong. No. Why will he be able to do it? Because he is worthy. As the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ takes the scroll, there's a sound of triumphant worship from God's redeemed people. The four living creatures join in with us in singing this song because He is worthy. Look at verse 8. When He had taken the book, when He had taken the scroll, The four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. This is a new song. We have been unable to sing it. Because right at this moment, the Lord hasn't taken that scroll. We're still here. The Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for each one of us. But one day we we are going to be raptured. We're going to be taken from this earth. We're going to be sitting and standing and singing to this, exactly the same as this, to the Lamb of God who is now not seated at the right hand of God but is actually ready to redeem His creation. And we sing this song when we're in glory. Worthy you, you, to take that scroll. Because you were were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men of every tribe. You know, too many contemporary songs while we're on this earth are are eye-centered. Too many are eye-centered rather than Christ-centered. We should be beginning to learn to sing Christ-centered songs even while we're on this earth. Forget about the I, I, I. What kind of song did they sing in heaven? Well, it was a worship hymn to start with. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slain. So it was a worship song. Worship means to ascribe worthiness. And <clears throat> We've already found out that Jesus alone is worthy. No one else could open the scroll. John was weeping because of that. It's a gospel song. You were slain and purchased for God with your blood. You were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Who did they purchase? Well, that's the missionary part. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It's a devotional hymn. It announced our unique position in Christ. We are a kingdom and priest to our God. And finally, it's a prophetic hymn. And they will reign upon the earth. Do you realise we're going to reign upon this earth? When Jesus Christ returns to this earth in chapter nineteen twenty, later on in the book, he's going to establish his righteous kingdom for a millennium, for a thousand years, and we will reign with him. Are you ready? Are you ready to reign? Are you ready? the first thing to do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour because He died for every tongue, tribe, nation. All you have to do is say, I accept. And then and only then when that kingdom is set up that the prayers that we pray today, Thy kingdom come, only then will that be filled. Creation is going to be set free from the bondage to sin and Christ shall reign in justice and in power. He will reign with a rod of iron and he will smash like earthen vessels. And we sing to him. Worthy are you. But that wasn't the end of it. There's there's more songs, there's more praise. This time the angels join in. So, you've got the 24 elders, you've got the, the redeemed people, you've got the living, <coughs> four living creatures. Actually, what they're saying is Amen, Amen. They can't stop. That's all they're Amen, Amen. You've got all of creation, all the creatures, and all the angels, and us singing from verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. I think John was lost for words to know how many people were there. It sounds like a lot though. And they were all saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And if there was any other words I could think of, they're probably singing them as well. And every created thing, which is in heaven, every created thing on the earth, every created thing under the earth, and on the sea, and all things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, as I said, all they could say was, Amen, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. All of heaven praising because the Lamb took the scroll from the Father's hand. God's great eternal plan would now be fulfilled and creation would be set free from the bondage of sin and death. Are you looking forward to that? You know, one day soon, the Lamb of God will break those seals. I can't tell you a time, but it will be soon. Certainly sooner than Later. And that breaking of the seals will put into motion events that will eventually lead to his coming to this earth and then establishing his kingdom for a thousand years and all that burning up and a new heaven and a new earth being created. What sets it in motion? The taking of that scroll. Now I know your heart is saying amen to all that. I know your heart is saying or uh, wanting to sing that song in heaven. And if you don't feel like that, then you've got a problem. What an awesome introduction we've had in chapters four and five. Chapter four, focusing on the on the on God, on his throne, all the things around it. Chapter five, focusing on the scroll first and then on the lamb who is able to take that scroll because he is worthy to take that scroll. An awesome introduction. That's where we left it now. We're going to leave it with, with the lamb having the scroll in his hand when with all of creation singing, worthy is the lamb. But we now need to be prepared for the unfolding judgments that begin in chapter 6. Because the scene is going to shift from heaven. And it's going to move to earth. And I believe we're given this glimpse into the throne room of God so that we'll have the knowledge that the events that now happen on this earth are from heaven. To have them in the right perspective Of why they're happening. It's not a a capriciousness of our God. This is planned. All the events that happen. will start from chapter 6. The same Lord and Redeemer who is the object of worship and praise by saints and angels and creation alike will now be seen as the righteous judge of this world. By his authority and his authority alone, the terrible events of the tribulation will now start to unfold. The stage is set for Acts chapter 3, scene 3. Right now is the day of grace. Understand that right at this minute. But the next minute could be the day of judgment. Don't ever think you've got time. That You're saying to yourself, that sounds like I need to accept Jesus Christ as Saviour. I'll do it another time. You may not have another time. Today is the day, or right now is the day of grace, but the next minute could be the day of judgment. Anytime soon, be prepared, is my call to you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this wonderful Book that we've been able to delve into to read the truth of the scriptures as we uh, so wonderfully have in our own language to be able to be encouraged as Christians to understand the things that are going to happen the things that will happen after these things the things that will happen after the church has been raptured father we thank you that it can also be a time of reality check. Father, there may be some here this morning, very possibly, that have no possibility of going and praising God and praising Jesus Christ in that scene. And so I pray for them, Lord. I pray particularly for them that by your Spirit you would move in their lives to take away the scales that have formed in their mind and on their eyes, the scales of falsehood, the scales that, uh, that Satan can put there, can blind them. Father, we know that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. We know that Satan blinds people to the reality. There's only one way, Father, and that is that you would come into their lives and draw them to yourself. And I pray, Lord, with all my heart that you would do that this morning so that they too, the people here this morning who have not accepted Jesus Christ, may too join us in that place at any time. Father, help us to be prepared. Help us to understand the reality and help us to be encouraged that while we are waiting for that time, Lord, you have a job for us. Our race has been marked out and we need your strength. So I pray that you would strengthen us in our race through this land that is not our own, this land that we're just pilgrims passing through, waiting for that time when we can be in a place where our citizenship actually is. We look forward to it, but in the meantime, Lord, help us to do what it is that you would love us to do, and we ask it in Jesus Christ's name, amen.